3: This is the Cork Today replay on C103
4: as we welcome you along to the programme and Happy Blooms Day. Today is the 16th of June, the date in which is written about in James Joyce's book, Ulysses. And it's also very important Blooms Day this year because today it is celebrating its 100th birthday, 100 years ago this year since the publication of the masterpiece that is Ulysses. So happy Blooms Day to one and all and what a gorgeous gorgeous day weather wise we have for uh, Bloomsday temperatures today will climb to 21 could go to 24 degrees in some areas even could tip 25 uh, degrees tomorrow they're saying us here in Munster and South Leinster we will be getting the hottest of that uh, weather but Matt Aaron are warning us to enjoy it while we can because they're forecasting temperatures that would then start to slide for the weekend and we'll go from the possibility of 24, 25 degrees tomorrow and over the weekend it could go down to 16 degrees so there will be a noticeable drop in temperatures as we head into the weekend and of course this band of good weather for today and tomorrow is linked to this heat wave which is affecting Western Europe where the mercury has risen to more than 40 degrees in parts of Spain and certainly parts of Spain and France over the next couple of days uh, could go into the mid 40s. It's a kind of a scary, scary time with a a really sweltering heatwave in the UK. Also they have a hot weather warning has been issued because temperatures in southern and central England, including London are set to rise to 34 degrees uh, tomorrow. Uh, So while we are getting a little bit of warm weather, we're getting nothing like the heatwave that is going across parts of Europe and in a way we can be thankful for that. John Paul's taking your calls at 0800 18103103. 18103103. You can text her WhatsApp to 86 Actually, um, WhatsApp's already coming into us. Heidi's on about the rising cost of fuel. And she says reports on the news about fuel prices in the United Kingdom. Hauliers there are planning to go on protest. There is also a pump watch that is set as they believe that there are some making money at the pumps at the cost of us that there's some price gorging going on I, this is in the United Kingdom uh, Heidi says I think it's the same here and I'm wondering what are listeners thoughts on that people can't keep going like this some people are already on their knees I ask is this government aware of what is happening here in this country uh, soon no one will be able to go to work because of rising pump prices um, thank you Heidi and we're already hearing from people who say they literally are Struggling just to put petrol or diesel into their car every week to get them to and from work. And if you live in a rural area, you don't have any choice. You have to have your car to get to and from work. So I think, Heidi, a number of people will agree with you. And of course, inflation is plunging record numbers of householders into energy poverty. And this has been picked up by all of the papers today with a warning that household bills could rise by as much as €2,000 a year. And over 3500 if you add in the cost of running a family car. This is a new report that's just been published by the ESRI. And it has suggested the possibility of some kind of similar to the Christmas bonus style double welfare payment. That that could be introduced not just at Christmas but during the year as well. To try to offset rising energy bills after finding that the weekly cost of household energy consumption rose by more than €21 a week, not a month, a week in the first four months of this year. And that, they say, could rise by over €36 a week. That's if energy prices go up by another 25%. And then when you add in the motor fuels and motor costs, when you include that, the ESRI estimates that energy inflation between January and April pushed Household consumptions up by over 38 euro a week and that further a rise would increase it even uh, further and everyone is expecting there will be further rises. Now, the number of households in energy poverty and how do they classify energy poverty? Energy poverty is where more than 10% of a person are a household's net income is spent on energy bills and the number of households in that group called energy poverty that's already hit a record high they reckon it now in this country 29% of householders are in energy poverty 29% are spending more than 10% of their net income on their energy bills and the previous record high you have to go back to the mid 90s and the previous record high was when there was 23% of households that's gone to 29% and this ESRI paper warns that any further increases in energy costs this year will push as many as 4 in 10 households into that energy poverty bracket. The research on energy poverty and deprivation which was, will be published today by the state's leading economic think tank also finds that the government's recent cuts to VAT and the cuts to the fuel duty. They felt they were poorly targeted and the cutting carbon tax, they also say, would be the wrong approach. And they explain why. They say less than a third of the 40% of households that are at the lower end of the income scale would have been more adversely affected by rising energy prices than would benefit from these measures. They say if the objective is to protect those most affected by rising energy prices, then cutting indirected taxes, they say, that's a poorly targeted way to do it, given that most of the revenue is spent compensating high-income households who are actually the least affected. Instead, the paper identifies increases in welfare payments, they say the fuel allowance, and lump sum payments similar to what they did with the household electricity uh, credit they are much more affected and that's where they're in suggesting a Christmas bonus style. Give an extra double welfare payment maybe in September or in October and that would help offset rising energy bills. They also say a doubling of the fuel allowance would also have this effect although the paper does point out that if you're targeting it at the fuel allowance that's going to be only restricted to people who get the fuel allowance which are people on, you know long term beneficiaries of welfare payments and it excludes Those who are recently unemployed and it would also exclude, say, people who are on low uh, income or just above the poverty line. The paper also states that increasing PRSI credits from €12 to €33 and increasing the main income tax credits by €50 a year, that would increase household incomes and it would positively offset energy costs, particularly for the lower earners and for those that are renting. By contrast then they say increases to income tax credits alone that would primarily benefit higher and upper middle income households and they are the ones that are least affected. They're still affected by the rising costs but they're the least affected. And um, the lower income households they spend more of their total expenditure on energy and fuel. So as a result increases then disproportionately affect their incomes. And Denise Carton, she is CEO of the Community Foundation of Ireland and they actually funded this research with the ESRI. They say in rapidly increasing numbers, householders now are facing the choice between putting food on the table, buying the back-to-school clothing, our heat in their homes, and we're hearing that time and time again from people like the Society of St Vincent de Paul, and only this week hearing it from our own Katrina Toomey of Cork Penny Dinners. They're at the cold face of it. They're seeing the decisions that families have to uh, make. So I think that's a really good paper from the ESRi. Let's wait and see how much of that will be taken on board by the government. The Cork Summer Show is back with us and everybody getting very excited about the Cork Summer Show. It's going to take place Saturday and Sunday of this weekend as a family festival. They're going to have an extensive range of activities everything from cookery and craft demonstrations, there'll be wonderful trade stands, live music every day and lots to keep the children entertained If you'd like to find out more about what's planned over the two days then head over to their website CorkSummerShow.com Later on on the programme I will ask you another summer based question and then you'll text or WhatsApp your answer and one lucky listener will be picking up a family pass which admits two adults and up to five Four children for the Cork Summer Show. We'll do that a little bit later on. I mentioned that it is Blooms Day today, and it's a special Blooms Day today because it is a hundred years ago this year since the first publication of the masterpiece *Ulysses* by James uh, Joyce. And talking of one hundred years ago. Yesterday, can I say well done to everybody involved in the reenactment of the Michael Collins speech? I'm assuming it was organised by the Michael Collins uh, Centre. Hundred years ago, yesterday, Michael Collins made a famous speech in Cl- the 18th of June, 1922. And yesterday evening, there was a reenactment of Michael Collins's speech exactly 100 years later, and it was delivered by local actor john o 'Leary on Pier Street in clonakilty and i 'm told by Tim I'm reading on tim crowley 's social media page from the Michael Collins Center. He says the performance will put the hair standing on the back of your neck. It was so realistic well done to uh, John and actually on michael Collins's on the Michael Collins Center on their Facebook page, they have a photograph taken from one thousand nine hundred and twenty two of Michael Collins standing up in the car delivering the speech and everybody standing around listening. And then they have the photograph taken from yesterday evening, the beautiful clear blue sky in the background 100 years uh, later. It's, it's well done and particularly well done to John O'Leary for delivering Michael Collins's, the reenactment of Michael Collins's uh, speech. And so disappointed to read in the Avendu newspaper, and today the public toilets located on Ash Key in Fomoy have been targeted by vandals once again. How do we stop this happening? News of this according to Katie uh, Galvin in the Avenue says news of this follows concerns which were raised locally when the toilets were locked and closed to the public. On Sunday and Monday of this week, a Cork County Council spokesperson confirmed the closure was due to substantial damage caused by vandals. Now, the ladies' toilets and the disabled toilet was reopened to the public yesterday. However, the men's toilets were not. And according to the spokesperson, the men's toilets will remain closed pending electrical repairs uh, which are due to take place as soon as possible. Isn't that shocking? And, you know, we're coming into, well, we're into lovely weather that we having at the moment, but tourists being around and people visiting the areas and all the more reason why we need public toilets. Maybe we need public toilets for local people, but we very much need them for people visiting and passing through uh, the town. And shocking to hear that once again, those public toilets on Ash have being forced to close due to uh, vandalism. How do we stop that? absolutely senseless vandalism that would cause the toilets to be closed for quite a few days they must have done quite substantial damage if they need to get electrical repairs done in the men's toilet in Fomoy 0818 103, 103 our lines are open you can text you can WhatsApp to 0862
3: 103, 103 Court Today
5: on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business Farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie.
4: Yesterday, the Aroctus Tourism Committee met with officials from several tourism bodies to discuss the rising cost of accommodation. To see how it all went, I'm joined by a member of that committee, Nutsfina Falls uh, Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan. Good morning to you, Christopher. Yes. Can you hear me? Okay.
6: Yeah. Can you hear yeah,
4: me? I can now. Yeah, you were a little bit distant there.
7: there no, if I, I'll, I'll just move into a different spot and. Uh, okay. You'll should be able to pick yeah. that clearer. Yeah,
4: you're you're perfect there now. Great. Now, Christopher, is there a fear that soaring costs will damage our reputation as a tourism destination?
7: Yeah, I I I don't think there's a fear. I think it's happening already. Um it's uh, and, and that was clear from yesterday's Iraq committee, I think uh it's become a favourite hobby of a lot of people, um, including politicians, TVs and senators, to go onto these um booking websites and compare prices. Some of the prices that we were hearing about in yesterday, yesterday's the committee were were just uh, were scary. Um, I did a search yesterday just for comparison before I went into the committee, and it was you were talking in, in the Dublin area four hundred euro, five hundred euro, six hundred euro. Um, Senator Shane Castles quoted a price of seven hundred euro for a hotel in, in Dublin last night. So, um, yeah, and and it's I, I must stress this that it is uh, specifically the Dublin area. Um, for the most part, where we're seeing these prices, because what I wanted to do yesterday was compare it to West Cork prices. And on the same day, I did a search of, of West Cork hotels. And places like, I mean, tourist destinations like Clannacilty and Kinsale, gibbering, uh, Baltimore, Bantry, uh, Skull, they were coming out at somewhere between €130 Euro and €190, and um, it were the kind of average rates that I was looking at so clearly. It's completely disproportionate the prices that we're seeing in Dublin. But if you're an international visitor, and when you look at the fact that 80% of um, uh, visitors to Ireland come through Dublin, this is the, uh, I suppose, experience that they're having, and this is what they're being quoted, and it's leaving people with the the narrative or the message that this, that Ireland has become a place that's not good value for money, when in fact. If you go to the regions and if you go to places like West Cork, and sorry to be parochial you know, and harp on about West Cork, but there is still good value to be had in in West Cork hotels. But these Dublin prices that people are being charged when you know they're going to, uh, would we'll say, the quarterfinals, um, uh, Dublin versus Cork, or when they're going to a gig, Gareth Brooks, the prices people are being quoted are... are extortionate and um
4: and d- 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 did that did that get highlighted yesterday this hiking of hotel prices when large events are are being staged
7: it is and, and it's important to say who was who, who was in the committee yesterday I suppose asking questions are fielding questions from Senators and TDs and you had uh, fo Ireland uh, chief executive Paul Kelly and you had uh, departmental officials but very importantly we had members of the <coughs> the Irish Hotel Federation the IHF and what was really frustrating is our our ask was simple and um, these what what's happening here is they're saying that the last available rooms are basically just being sold for these extraordinary prices and they're putting everything out of out of kilter. But all we asked is that where this is happening that the IHF, nearly all of the hotels in Dublin are members of the Irish Hotel Federation. We just asked that they simply rein them in and go back to their members with a message to say, listen, these prices are really hurting Ireland in terms of reputational damage. Can you rein them in? The most frustrating thing was the Irish Hotel Federation, uh, the, the head of the Irish Hotel Federation, their comment was, we can't comment on individual prices. It's disappointing because we must remember that two years ago, during the pandemic, when members of the IHF came to us and they were looking for extension of the wage subsidy scheme. They were looking for restart grants, COVID support. They were looking for a reduction in VAT. all of which we achieved when we listened to them. Yet it seems to be just a one-way conversation. And while we were asking for the IHF is to go back to their Dublin members and say, listen, these extraordinary prices, they're not just hurting Ireland internationally, but they're hurting the really good, decent family-run hotels in places like West Cork, Clare, Donegal where you can still get good, yeah, good value. Good point. And, good point. Yes. and you
4: know something, I also can never understand the justification for when there's just a few hotels, hotel rooms left, the last hotel rooms. Why do they have to be sold at such exorbitant
7: prices? Well, I, I, I guess the sad thing is that people are in certain instances they're willing to pay it but the uh, I think I think it's down to the approach of hotel management as well, and I referenced there the whole, the, the family-run hotels. I was on radio yesterday with Paul Gallagher of Boswells, a very familiar haunt with a lot of TDs and senators, but he's 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 set a cap of of two ninety on on any whether it's the last room he has, no matter what people are offering, he set a cap of two ninety, which well is done. pretty expensive. Well, but, but well it, done for in, se- at least setting a cap. It is, and, and and that will stand, like, you know, I've never ran a hotel, but I imagine that that will stand to him in the future. And that's what the, these local family-run hotels and regional are and thinking about as well. They have loyal customers. They have people who have been coming back to them for years. If they go down the route of, and they probably could get prices of four or €500 Euro for some of the hotels, they have decided to do decent things. So I think it's the fact that a lot of these Dublin hotels are run by multinationals, uh, and they don't have that close personal family touch, but... Something's gonna to have to happen, something's gonna to have to give um, you know, I was asked what can government do here. Look, I think we have to keep that VAT rate at nine percent because if you go messing with the VAT rates, you're not only impacting hoteliers, you're impacting um hairdressers, cafe owners, restaurantaires. So we need to protect that and more more so than any, we need to protect those those um, you know, decent hotel. Yeah, you can't to to tar you
4: can't tar everyone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can't tire exactly. everyone yeah, with one true. brush. And I know I've spoken on many occasions with uh, Neil Grant, the general manager of the Celtic uh, Ross Hotel in Ross Garbury. And I mean, the last time we spoke, you know, he was explaining how cost of doing business, everything has gone up. I mean, his linen price, and obviously all hotels have a massive linen price, uh, linen charges, uh, but he was like, it's gone astronomically high. So I can understand that hotel prices will have to go up, Mm. but it's by how much that they're going up that I think people are finding offensive.
7: Yeah, exactly. You hit the nail on the head there. Everybody in every walk of life, you just had a discussion there at at the outset of the show, Patricia, about the increase in cost of energy and living. Hoteliers are having to deal with this as well. And, you know, Forty percent rise in linen, twenty five percent rise in insurance. Which, as government, we really need to tackle this, this insurance crisis, and, and um, it's it completely getting out of hand. But you're right; they're, they're facing these increased prices, similar to the hotels in Dublin. But you know, the 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 likes of, of, of Neil and, de and the de Grass and likes of other West Cork hotels. They're, you know, they're they're passing it on to the the consumer, but not to the same extent that these Dublin hotels are. It's 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 a I suppose an increase in price that we all expect with the way things are going. But what's happening in Dublin is, you know, it's similar to what's happening with the car rental industry. Um, it's it's extortionate um it's it's incredibly damaging. And you know, yes, the tourism industry, thankfully, in the hospitality sector has bounced back much faster than we anybody could have imagined, which we have to welcome with open arms. But it, this is going to have a long-term impact if Ireland becomes uh, known as a place that isn't value for more money. Yeah. Paul Kelly, the head of Falsch Ireland yesterday, had an interesting stat that 80% of visitors to Ireland see it as a place that is considered good value for money. But in the same sentence, he said, but we predict that this is going to deteriorate rapidly with the rising uh, cost of hotels.
4: Yeah, and and I also have a fear and a worry and something we have to make sure that we don't use high costs this year as a baseline for next year's costs and costs going forward?
7: Now we need to use the, that 2019 yeah. uh, baseline, yeah. which, which is interesting. I mean, I've heard some people say that hotel prices have trebled compared to 2020, 2021. We can't use 2020 as a baseline either because you must remember in, in 2020 and parts of 2021 um, hotels were just were begging for custom because people were in lockdown. People couldn't move around. The only people who could stay in the hotels were essential workers, and you, you were getting rates of uh, 50, 60 euro a night. So we can't use that as a baseline either in terms of the increase in cost. But 2019 has to be the baseline. And interestingly, a uh, stat that we got yesterday that uh, prices have, uh, on average, gone up 16% in Dublin compared on that 2019 baseline. But then you have these outliers, these, um, and, and, you know, perhaps they're not have layers either because the amount of people who have contacted me since uh, the Iraqis committee yesterday who have been quoted, I, I mean, you, you wouldn't believe some of the prices people have been quoted for. Not the best hotels either, Patricia, I know. to be honest. Well, you know, I, I, I,
4: I had my own personal one where one of the airport hotels, and they're pretty basic. They're fine, but they're basic hotels. I stayed there on a Friday night Three of us, family room, and f- five weeks apart, and it went from a hundred. And this was just bed, no breakfast, because the flights were heading out too early in the morning. It was a hundred and sixty-one on the first Friday that we stayed there, and five weeks later, on another Friday night, it had gone to three hundred and twenty. Well. I mean, there was just no comparison. And then I've we've a family get together coming up in July. Now I used my influence to suggest that we had that family get together in West Cork. So it was upon me then to book the hotel, and I've no, booked ah no better, I, place. I know better place. And I got four family rooms in a hotel in Clonakilty on on a, on a July weekend, and. All of the family couldn't believe what I was getting the price for. It was very similar to the prices we would have been spending in in 2019. So you're right. If you shop around and if you book in advance, there is value to be had.
7: There's value to be had. And and this is, you know, speaking to the hotel sector, and I do speak to them a lot, you know, coming from West Cork, I really do try to advocate as much as possible for hospitality in the hotel sector because the product that we have is is right through Cork County. I'm not you know, People get sick of me harping on of West Cork, right through Cork County. The project we have is incredible, but what what was re- what they were really stressing to me is that we do not want to see these Dublin prices uh, damage and be the narrative of people going forward. And I think we have to do our best to knock that on the head as well. Yes, you're going to get um, uh, quoted pretty high prices in some parts of West Cork in certain times of year. That 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 almost always happens. But as you say, um, you know. What I can absolutely assure you is that hotel prices in in West Cork are, are around the regional parts of Ireland, Clare, Donegal, Galway. They certainly haven't doubled. They may have increased in line with the price of energy, but they, they you know, they, they, they haven't, haven't doubled. doubled. Yeah. That, yeah, That's what I really
4: want. Can I, can to I also can I also just raise uh, another issue that we get a lot of calls in about, and it certainly is going to affect tourists this year. The cost of car rental. Did that come up yesterday?
7: It did. It did, um, and there was a uh, a couple of. Car rental companies that, look that I won't name, but that certainly, if you watch back the discussion yesterday, um, Deputy Brendan Griffin, fairness to him, who was former uh, tourism minister based in Kerry, a tourism area, he wasn't slow to the mark to call out some of these um, uh, car rental companies. But again, what what's happening here? It just, you know, I do feel that there are advantages have been taken in some sectors and in some industries uh, in, relation, in relation to the rising cost um, and, and and inflation. But, you know, inflation has gone up by about 8% of this country. It It is getting out of control, and we do need to take action to control that. But that doesn't explain three, 400 percent increases in the cost of renting cars. It doesn't explain 2-3,000 Euro for renting a pretty basic um, car in Ireland for uh, a couple of days. Yes, it's happening internationally. Yes, it's happening across Europe, but one of our biggest selling points um, is the Wild Atlantic Great. It's been a huge success story, and Let's face it. Most people explore the Wild Atlantic Way by car. They they arrive into Dublin or Cork Airport. They rent a car. They're not going to do that if they're being quoted um, the extortionate prices that we're seeing. So and our small
4: you, tourism product will suffer because of that.
7: It, it will. So um, look, certainly government can take action here, but I think the, the representative bodies, the Irish Hotels Federation, the we also had the overarching tourism um, body that represents. All the tourism providers, including the car rental service, in yesterday, uh, I, I think we have to have a separate session in, in the Workers' Committee in relation to uh, car rental because the combined, uh, the combination. I mean, the the uh, restaurant association were in touch yesterday, and in fairness, although again because of inflation, the, the cost of food has gone up nowhere near. Um, we're not seeing the same kind of experience as we're seeing with hotels and car yeah. rentals. So okay, we need, I we need to s- nip the, the somebody,
4: somebody says, while well, you have, um, this is uh, Martin in West Cork, while well, you have Christopher on the line, uh, ask him about the crazy right, The crazy inflation at the moment and uh, what are the government going to do going forward. I mean, you're very aware of the rising costs of everything, Christopher.
7: Yeah, of course. Particularly when you're coming from a, a, a more rural constituency, and, um, Uh, When people, for the most part, we don't have a a public transport uh, system that's fit for purpose. Therefore, people's only option is to travel by car. And we've seen the the massive hikes at the the petrol station. Governments have tried to address that uh, with a 15 and 20 percent um, reduction in uh, excise duty relatively. We've tried uh, to increase uh, the the, we've tried to combat the cost of energy by taking away reducing the PSO levy and we're seeing a, a, a further reduction in that levy uh, going forward. We've tried to target it at the lowest income earners um, with the €200 Euro, uh, bullet payment for those on um, uh, heating allowance and also an increase in the in the um, home heating allowance for, for uh, those on, who are in receipt of it. So we've tried to introduce targeted measures, but of course, there is always more that we can do and there is always more uh, that we have to do. We need to expedite um, rapidly the warmer home scheme. Um, I mean, a lot of people perhaps don't aren't aware that uh, if you're a pension agent, if you're in, in receipt of uh, the home fuel allowance, then you're automatically entitled to a warmer home scheme. And that means that you can automatically get your attic insulated and you can also get your cavity walls insulated for, for, for free. I mean, that's a a service out there that many people don't know about. What what, what we need to do, though, as a government is is increase the the pace of that. And and I do hope, um, I really do hope, that in budget uh, 2023, the upcoming budget, that there is some significant and proper targeted measures to help people live with... Yeah, but they're work.
4: going to be targeted measures for next year because that's for budget. It'll, it'll be announced in October, but that, that'll be for it 2023. Is. The ESRI, I mean, they're out today and they're critical of the government. They're saying that it's poorly targeted government measures have tackled the spiralling cost of, of living. I mean, will you take on board what the ESRI have to say today and, yes. and their suggestions?
7: Yeah, so the ESRI has have, have strongly suggested that we have targeted measures, and that is at those on the lowest incomes and those who are on fuel allowance, and that's what we had tried to do uh, with the bullet payment of two hundred euro and with the increase in, in the fuel allowance. And um, yes, some of the measures were very general and widespread. For example, uh, the, the VAT reduction, the reduction in excise duty, and I think what the ESRI are saying is that those kind of uh, kind of uh, widespread general measures aren't as effective. But, you know, Patricia, in government it can be quite difficult when you have, um, you know, opposition uh, critical for not reducing excess duty, when you have uh, opp- opposition looking for things like reduction in carbon tax, when you have opposition shouting that you're looking for reduction in that, and saying that with the swipe of a pen that you can take away all this increased cost. You know, sometimes you you, you have to take that on board and you have to react to that as well. But, I agree with the er, 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 so There are some people uh, out there on, on higher incomes who can uh, afford to take uh, the brunt of the increase in costs. There's some people out there that we refer to as the squeezed middle who can't, don't seem to be getting help from either end. And then you have the people on the lowest incomes who we really, really need to target um, help at. And there are ways and measures that we have been doing that. Um, some, maybe we had the messaging hasn't been right around it, but... Absolutely, I agree with your listener. The inflation is only only going one way. The cost of fuel and energy seems to be going only, only one way. And, and worrying
4: that we're seeing so many people, uh, so many households in energy po- poverty, it's, it's reached a record high. Okay, I'm way over on time. Uh, Christopher, just very, very briefly, because I know it's an issue I addressed with you before, the future of uh, Goline uh, Post Office. Sad news that the person who had come forward has has uh, stepped aside. Are you beginning to lose hope for the future of Goline no, Post Office?
7: I won't lose hope because um, they, there's a great community there and, and when I raised this issue 3 or 4 weeks ago when we started that social media campaign the uh, reaction was incredibly positive and the amount of people who expressed an interest uh, was very heartening what I need to see from Unplussed um, is a more proactive approach to helping those people who are expressing an interest in the role to to uh, guide them through the process because it's about 50 pages of terms and conditions I know it, I know you're running the yeah. business I haven't last hope. we had a we okay. had a, a There was meeting a meeting last, night, last on, like, week wrong. wasn't there yeah yeah. yeah yeah and, and it was well attended. Uh, I've suggested setting up an action group uh, to try solve this, and I'm still putting that offer out there to set up an action group to try and find someone for the role.
4: Okay, all right. We leave it there, Christopher. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining Thank us. That all is right. uh, West Cork Final or Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan.
3: Court Today on C103
5: with Sean Cusack. Insurances Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk; they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.
3: The C-103 Street Fleet. Coming
5: your way soon. Meet the C103 Street Fleet at the Cork Summer Show this Saturday and Sunday, June 18th and 19th, at the Showgrounds. There's loads happening for all the family, including arts and crafts, cooking demos, play zones, live entertainment, and loads more. Join the Street Fleet this Saturday and Sunday at the Cork Summer Show with C103.
4: I can see there's a number of texts and calls coming in about the rising cost of living and also the cost of hotels, and I'm not ignoring them. I will get back to them, but but I want to move to a. Different Different issue because today is World Refill Day, which is a global public awareness campaign designed to accelerate the transition away from single-use plastic and towards reuse systems. Joining me with further details is Lindsay O'Connell, who is project manager with Voice Ireland. Good morning to you, Lindsay.
1: Good morning, Patricia.
4: How are you? Uh, uh, very well. Happy World Refill Day to you. Now, did the pandemic only make our addiction to single-use plastic worse, do you think?
1: It did, yeah. As I think everybody noticed it themselves, even in their local shops. Everything that was loose all of a sudden became wrapped in plastic. And we were kind of sold this idea that maybe plastic was going to protect us from the virus that might the COVID virus. But as we found out after the pandemic, that was a bit of a spin. And actually, the virus lived on the plastic for up to 72 hours. So, unfortunately, our reliance on plastic went up during uh, COVID. But now we're seeing shops and cafes returning to reusable again. So it is actually good news at the end of the day, Patricia.
4: Good, good, because the 200 million single-use coffee cups, and I think that figure is staggering that we dump every year, was highlighted again in the Eyeball litter League survey that we featured on the programme earlier in the week. Are you in favour of the latte levy, the, the 20 cent on the, on the disposable cups?
1: You know, Patricia, we've been campaigning for this through our Conscious Cup campaign for about six years now. Um, and only recently, up uh, we've gotten almost every cafe in Ireland back to accepting reusables. And so we're really, you know, a big, strong advocate for the latte levy. And for a number of reasons, 22,000 cups an hour is what it breaks down to we use in this country. And we love our cups. And it's not just coffee, it's hot drinks as well that are served in these cups. Um, And what we're saying is we don't have to give up our love of coffee, but maybe if we just move to a better system where we could bring our own cup or if the restaurant in question or the cafe had its own sitting cups that it could use and not rely on disposables or maybe have a cup that we could pay deposit on, take it away and then come back again. So there are solutions um, that we could ask businesses to kind of pivot towards. But I guess this levy is going to encourage businesses to take that step.
4: Yeah, and again, pre the pandemic, people were getting into the habit of the keep cups and cafes were encouraging people. You got your coffee or your tea or your hot chocolate a little bit cheaper by bringing your own cup.
1: That's right, and it actually works out. Um, I moved I moved to a keep cup there about three years ago, and initially I actually found it quite difficult to touch. I kept forgetting it, <laughs> and you'd find me standing outside a coffee shop, you know, kind of cursing to myself under my breath. But then I got used to it, and just like the plastic yeah, bag
4: pack, yeah, we, I we,
1: leave the house now, I have my bag in my pocket, and I have my coffee cup in yeah, my car, you know?
4: Yeah, we would never head in to do a full shop now unless you have your bags uh, with you, uh, and that took a little bit of time at the start to get used to that. And generally speaking, the production of plastic, is that still increasing worldwide?
1: Oh hugely yeah, that. so I know for, and it breaks my heart to say but a lot of people don't realise this and I certainly didn't realise this when I started on this campaign a few years ago um, the, it's a concerted effort by the packaging industry so the majority ingredient in plastic is oil and gas by product. So the oil and gas companies are trying to up the production of plastic because their profits are being damaged by us moving to electrical cars and fueling our houses better, more sustainably. So it's actually a concerted effort by the oil and gas industry to put more plastic packaging on the market. So if we push back in these little ways, like a coffee cup and a plastic bag, these can be big citizen actions that we can take to kind of say, you know what? Enough is enough. We're mm-hmm. not only damaging the environment, but it's affecting our pockets because at the end of the day, I'm sure I'm not the only person putting my biggest child into the green bin trying to squash it down. Like The amount of packaging we're taking home is crazy.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about this refill app and how that can help us.
1: Yeah, so, okay refill day is not just another day for, for the sake of it. We actually have this really great call to action. So there's an app that you can find. It's blue and it's in the shape of a water droplet and it says refill on it. And if you download that app to your phone it will show you around your local area businesses that, affect, that accept refill. So you could take your water bottle out with you and there, You don't have to buy water bottles in plastic anymore. You can just pop into a local shop. Our local um Animal pet store, except for water bottles, would you believe? Okay. And so all these businesses around Ireland are putting themselves on the map. And if you wanted to refill your food, your water, your coffee, jump on the app and then um, and see where you can go. And it'll
4: show you the nearest one. And if you're doing any travelling around Ireland during the summer time, the app will. Well, will Show you what's near you. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah, it's great. Yeah, but that's true. But
1: it's around the world as well. So is it. A, okay, a that's right,
4: yeah. right. Okay, and we and we can all do our little bit. I know sometimes we can get overwhelmed by everything that's going on with the with the environment and with this overproduction of plastic. But you know, I've a favorite saying of mine is, you know, light the candle, don't curse the darkness. We can all do our own little bit by making by making sure that when we do end up with any of these uh, plastics, that we recycle them properly.
1: That's right, yeah. And you're right, So an action. The power of one is very, very strong. And I think we've been trying to be fooled into believing that it's not powerful, but it actually is. So if you're recycling and you're recycling properly and it's going into the right bin, that's a really good, strong action that you can take. And then if you try to move away from packaging, you know, maybe it's your coffee cup that you start with, we've all started with plastic bags. And maybe you move on to maybe refilling your food or buying your nuts and pulses in into um uh, in different shops, that's good too. But our job as the environmentalists is to push on the supermarket. So what we've got at the moment is a campaign against supermarkets to make them move to refill, make them uh, take all the plastic off their fruit and veg and if you'd like to get involved look us up voiceireland.org and you can get involved in any of those campaigns where we kind of push back on industry as well to make those big changes
4: yeah all do our own little bit all right uh, Lindsay listen thank you for that and just once again the refill app you can download it wherever you get your apps
1: that's right yeah Android and um,
4: and Apple as well okay listen thank you for that and uh, keep up the great work that you're doing at Voice Ireland and thanks for joining us Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you, Lindsay O'Connor, there, project manager with Voice Ireland. And actually, I saw a lot of the papers are picking up on the wonderful Charlie Bird. He was out at a school yesterday in Finglas, in Dublin, and he was congratulating them on their new green flag for travel. And uh, he used his voice bank technology and to speak to the children. You know, he explained to them that unfortunately his voice now isn't working anymore. So he he's he but he's lucky that he's able to communicate with this voice bank that he has and he spoke about his time working for RTE and becoming environmentally aware over the years and he, you know, he spoke to the children about how lucky he was to travel to the North Pole and the South uh, Pole but that he had particularly seen the effects of climate change when he travelled towards the North Pole. He said many of the glaciers in the Canadian Arctic are disappearing. He said they're disappearing before our very eyes. He said the North Pole is melting so it's that we all do our bit to protect the environment. And he went on then to say why well, he was so proud of this little school in uh, Finglas, and that they were doing their bit to help to protect the, uh, the environment and he says I believe that you are this is the school children you are the ones that will help to save the planet and I do think our children today are really much more environmentally conscious and aware than any other previous generation ever had been and actually talking to Charlie Bird I don't know did you watch that documentary that was on the other night I only got to see it uh, yesterday the man had me in tears he is just he is so brave in, and his quest to raise as much awareness as possible for motor neuron disease. He's, he's, he is just an incredible uh, man. He really is. And we wish him nothing uh, but good health going forward. 0818 103, 103 Our own John Paul taking your calls.
3: Cork Today on C103.
5: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Consale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
4: David and Dunamore was on to say, has anybody any suggestions? on how to prevent starlings from flying under the tiles of a roof. Are they trying to nest under the tiles? Is that what the problem is? Anybody get any advice on how to stop starlings from flying under the tiles on David's roof in Dunamore? If anybody can help us with that, give John Paul a call. And the Ross Cycle Race passing through our area today. They're going to be going through Kilmallock, Charleville, Jermina Fremont, Clash, Newmarket and Bally Desmond, and then on into Scartic. Glen. Now they're expected to arrive in Kilmallock shortly after midday and then they'll head to Charleville, a Fremont Clash, Newmarket, Bally Desmond, and on into Scarter Good luck to everybody involved uh, in that. And I mentioned the Michael Collins. The reenactment of the Michael Collins speech exactly 100 years ago yesterday sounded like it was a wonderful, wonderful evening in Clonakilty. That prompted Tom in Bantry to contact us and he said that Michael Collins and Countess Markovich made a speech in a field. He says the field was known as the Soup House Field. And he says that was also 100 years ago this year. A similar speech to what Michael Collins did in a 100 years ago uh, yesterday. Tom just doesn't have an exact date on it. Does anybody have the exact date on when Michael Collins, along with Countess a 100 years ago, This year would have given a speech in a field known as the Soup House Field. If anybody's information on that, please share it with us. Now, we were talking with Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan because the Oireachtas Committee yesterday had members of the Irish Hotel Federation in. They had members of Fault Ireland. Tourism bodies coming in just to talk about the... I'm slow to say anecdotal evidence that prices are rising because lots of people have examples, particularly around hotels in Dublin, just how expensive it has become to book one or two nights accommodation. If you can even find a hotel that has any spare capacity. Uh, Pat cites the example of the Bruce Springsteen Car concert, Uh, Bruce Springsteen coming to Dublin next year. If you pay 90 euro for the ticket and then for whatever reason you're not able to go, you are not allowed to sell on that ticket for a profit. You must sell it at face value and that was to do with all the ticket touting and all of the big concert promoters and all of the big acts are trying to end ticket touting so they've put very strict rules and regulations in place. I think everybody welcomed that. Yet says Pat if you're planning on staying in Dublin a hotel that normally might charge €150 euro for the night. Suddenly, just because Bruce Springsteen is in town, that same hotel will cost you €300. Euro. Is that not price gorging, says Pat? Well, that's, they're exactly the examples and the reason that the Aractus Committee on Tourism had in all the tourism officials yesterday to try to find out how much of it is price gorging. Karen in Middleton said herself and her friends were out for a meal last night and she said first of all she wants to say well done to the many pubs and restaurants who are doing offers reducing the cost and encouraging people to come in and you know go for a night out and she said every single one of the group of Karen's friends who were sit, uh, sat around the table last night started talking about the cost of hotels and in particular the cost of hotels in Dublin. Now this obviously is a group of, I don't know if it's just ladies or if there's gentlemen there as, as well, but they're obviously Bruce Springsteen fans and it came up in conversation about the Bruce Springsteen concert in Dublin and how it would be cheaper to fly to Rome get hotel accommodation in Rome buy your concert ticket go see Bruce Springsteen come home the next day and it would be cheaper to do that than to go and see Bruce Springsteen in Dublin Dublin is turning into the most expensive city for everything not just hotels hopefully in the long run it'll benefit Cork that people will look at Cork as an alternative instead and similar to Karen Culliman from Moy says Dublin is going to price itself out of the market for both jobs and for tourism. You'll end up seeing cities like Cork, Galway and Limerick picking up as more people will come Cork, Limerick and Galway's way. Now, Colm lived in the UK for a number of years and he said the very same thing happened in London. London got desperately expensive and eventually what happened was companies decided rather than have a set up in London because workers wouldn't be able to find accommodation they instead moved to some of the other cities like Birmingham like Manchester like Liverpool they were all the big winners now Colm himself ended up leaving London lived in Leeds for a number of years since the pandemic he's returned to Cork welcome home to you and he reckons Ireland will follow suit what happened in London will happen in Dublin but that will be an opportunity for the other cities including us in uh, Cork Cork now need to uh, deliver thank you for for that some of your whatsapps in on uh, this Fiona hi Patricia I booked a hotel in Dublin for next Friday night for myself and my sister and uh, my niece we're going to see the Eagles booked it months ago When we got the tickets about three weeks ago, wait for this, the hotel cancelled our booking because they are instead facilitating Ukrainian refugees. So booking well in advance is pointless. Got no satisfaction from the hotel, says Fiona. You're not the first, Fiona, unfortunately, that that has happened to, even though we are hearing that the contracts for many of the hotels ends With the government in the end of July, even though I did see a piece online during the week that some of the hotels are going to extend the contracts because they're guaranteed full hotel, all of their beds filled by taking these contracts to house the Ukrainian refugees. But yeah, that certainly is a problem uh, this year. Hi, this is Linda. Hi, Patricia. We're a family of three who enjoyed several mini breaks around Ireland instead of holidays abroad. That's what we've always loved to do. Uh, We love it. Haven't left this country in at least 10 years, but this year we've had to cut way back. And I always book early, but I'm finding prices are ridiculous. Next year we've decided we're going to go abroad. We've already started the passport process. It'll cost us hundreds less even with flights and accommodation abroad for one week as opposed to bed only here in in like what you've already said, not the very best of hotels. We are awfully disappointed. I contacted hotels that we've stayed in in the past and €600 Euro was the best that they could do, and they told us it would have to be midweek. It could, they could facilitate us at the weekend at that price. We would much rather stay in Ireland, as we've been doing for at least the last 10 years, but it just looks, looks like we're not wanted here anymore. Oh, Linda, that's awful and so disappointing for you as well and I can sense absolutely I can sense the disappointment in your uh, text 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls there were some of your whatsapps in some of your texts uh, in uh, what about Airbnbs they, they seem to be getting out of control and I don't know what you mean by getting out of control are they getting out of control price wise are they getting out of control in that there are so many but that is an alternative if you can't find a hotel or if hotels are, are booking out Airbnbs certainly might be an option and certainly Airbnbs will be cheaper than staying in a, a hotel and hi Patricia listen to you talking about the cost of living and the state of our economy and the exorbitant prices listen to this I took three children to Bally Bunyan on Sunday. I got each of them two scoops of ice cream in a small tub and it cost €16.50. Absolutely shameful. I was thinking to myself, I'd have filled a basket in Aldi of ice cream for less than that. Yeah, it's yeah. Has the tourism product gone up as well, which would be shocking uh, if if it has. Uh, it really, really will. Uh, but but yeah, it just shows that everything has gone up in cost and business will say cost of doing business is, is gone up. They're obviously paying more to get the ice cream in. I don't know if it was an ice cream van. The fuel costs, the insurance costs, cost of doing business right across the board has escalated. I wonder what it would have been last year for three by two scoops of ice cream in a little tub sixteen fifty Sounds a bit on the pricey side Alright Hi Patricia I see Fine Gael celebrated in inverted commas 10 years in power Housing crisis energy crisis people put to the pin of their collar simply to put food on the table No help for special needs kids either I question within Fine Gael what do they have to celebrate about On the story of that vandalism that I mentioned on the toilets in Moy. Listening to you talk about what happened to the toilets in Formoy with the vandals make their parents pay for the damage, that should sort it out. Well, we don't know if it was young people. We don't know who the vandals were. And obviously we've no way of knowing who the vandals were because I haven't heard of anyone been uh, been prosecuted or anyone been taken to task for it. It was just the toilets were found in this atrocious condition and ended then having to be locked up for a couple of days and the men's toilets still out of action while they're waiting to do the electrical repairs. John says on the cost of travel and hotels, etc. John says, we were all given out about COVID for the last two years. But you know something, says John, now looking back, maybe we were better off. At least we were able to buy food and put petrol in our car. Even if we couldn't travel very far, the government needs to get the finger out and do something. And they need to do it very, very fast. And actually on the Airbnb comment, the listener was back saying the price of Airbnb has gone out of control didn't realise that. I didn't realise that. Is other people noticing that? That Airbnb uh, is also gone up in price. 0818 103 103 John Paul continues to take your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862
3: 103 103
4: C103 Jobs A CE position available for an outdoor maintenance person it's at Castle Freak Trails Contact 085 257 Design Pro Automation in County Limerick. They're recruiting a technical writer. It's for installation documents, operation managers, and parts lists. They're also looking for an experienced office administrator. CVs please to careers at designproautomation.com. A Hearn Dental Clinic there in Wilton. They've got a vacancy for a dental nurse. CVs please to a Hearn Dental Clinic at gmail.com and a qualified hairstylist and a fully qualified beauty therapist wanted for Jessie's hair and beauty there in Bantry. CVs to jessiejhurley at yahoo.com You'll find all of the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103.
3: Cork Today on C103.
5: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie.
4: Community volunteers are being sought in West Cork to plug gaps as there are not enough County Council outdoor workers within the the region. Independent Councillor Paul Hayes said councillors owe it to their constituents to fight for an increase in outdoor staff and uh, Councillor Paul Hayes joins me this morning. Good morning to you Paul. morning Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Why are there less outdoor staff now than there was in previous years?
8: Uh, I suppose it's a legacy issue issue really Patricia Um, you know it essentially comes down to you know staff retiring over recent years and not being replaced. Um, you know, for the first number of years there, when, when times are toughest, uh, you know there was a moratorium across the whole county council on you know hiring of staff, but that's been dropped now. The last couple of years, so thankfully, more staff have been hired in or whatever, but it's been mostly administres- administrative staff and if into different departments. And we're still seeing a kind of a glaring gap uh, that outdoor uh, council workers that we all would have you know, uh, recognising work in our towns and villages over the years just haven't been replaced. And it's it's causing huge frustrations locally in in, uh, in communities at this stage because, again, just the, the regular work that carries on, like the street cleaning, emptying bins, opening and closing, public toilets, cutting grass, that kind of stuff just isn't happening. And the whole lot has been kind of thrown back to... Community groups like tidy towns committees to to take uh, to take up the slack essentially. Yeah, and
4: is this you know? is this is is this one of the reasons why more so than ever this year we've been hearing from residents right across the county that the green areas in housing estates hadn't been cut?
8: That's it exactly. Yeah, again, I mean, look at the, the existing council staff that are there. You know, it, it's quite unfair on, on them at the minute because look, they're being pulled and dragged all over the place they're being told, look, you know, do the main streets and the main towns, do all that kind of stuff, empty the bins. Uh, but they're also now, like for the example, like in Skibbereen, they're being sent to Ross Carberry, they're out to Lepp, Union Hall, Glendore, so as well as, you know, looking after their, their own patch, uh, they're now having to do a, a huge uh, area outside of that as well. So, as you say, their you know, estates and um, green areas inside in towns are, are being neglected because of that, and as I said, it's coming back to residents associations and community groups to, to try and do it themselves or else the place just goes into, you
4: know, a state of district. Yeah, I see. I, I thought it was all to do with rewilding. And I thought the council were making a conscious decision for the month of May not to cut the grass for but, the bee population. I thought that, that had something to do with it. But we but did get we, we, we yeah, on to the council and they did say that the contractors have now been hired.
8: They have, I suppose. Like, I mean, there's been a, a, an amount of outsourcing, all right. But and and we did hear that, all right, at one at one of our council meetings that it was for biodiversity. Yeah. Um But look, I I was up in, like, I, was, I took a visit into Dara Graveyard you now the other day in Graveyard, and like I took a photograph of of the of the grass on, on some of the paths and they're waist high. Yeah, you that's know, not
4: I mean, fair. That's not I,
8: fair. Yeah, like in, in some aspects, yeah, part part of the, you know, the the the. Unused plots, as we'll say, in, in graveyards. Fair enough that you can maybe skip a cut every now and then just to improve the biodiversity. But like these are access paths, you know. That, so that's that,
4: that's kind of a, I think that's being disingenuous to anyone that's using that argument. You know, could the council outsource more of the work?
8: I suppose they can. I mean, we, we are lucky that we have you know fantastic community employment uh, workers you know working in our towns and villages around the area, um, you know, to supplement what's going on. And there are there are people coming forward and saying, Look, I'd be happy to, to you know, to cut the grass in the graveyard or whatever but then, you know, we, we go to the council and say, Well, Johnny or Mary here are willing to do the work and but the council executive are coming back to us saying, Oh, well they don't have their own insurance to do that like so the whole lot kinda of grounds to a halt. And again, as I said, look, that's only a stop gap. I, I think there's no you know, there's no real replacement. You know, I, I think the council really needs just just to to, to catch the, the grasp the nettle really and and employ staff. You know, and give them the proper you know uh, terms of employment and, and conditions and all that. Like because we do need them, as I said, everywhere. Like all of my council colleagues were were naming various towns and villages across the region where they knew where staff had retired and weren't replaced. So. As I said, it's, it's not a new phenomenon. And, like, we, we can be kind of do the, the sticky plaster thing by uh, asking the community and, and volunteers to step up, but it's, it really is no replacement for getting a proper outdoor staff back in to, to fill those roles, you
4: know. Okay, your fellow Councillor Declan Harley has just contacted the programme to say good morning Patricia. The lack of outdoor staff has become the bane of our lives as public representatives. Communities are so disheartened and they actually feel neglected. Time and time again we've raised this issue with council officials and we just fobbed off every time. A typical example I can give you. The outdoor staff member retired for the Balladine and Eskeen area and what happened next the public toilets were then closed because there was no one there to maintain them. Instead of replacing that staff staff member. It's just so head-wrecking and I feel we are helpless to support our uh, communities. And you f- That's from Councillor Declan Harley. Thank you for that, Declan. And you forget about simple things like that, like toilets would then remain locked.
8: Absolutely, yeah. Again, look, I, I, I had a walkabout in, in Ballinine and in, Eskeen, in as you know it yourself. It's, it's actually quite quite a, a large spance from, from one uh, from the start of the villages to the, to the opposite end, Yeah, a couple of kilometres long. And again, you know, th- there's a fantastic and very progressive Tidy Towns Committee out there, but again, you know, they're hugely frustrated by the lack of uh, a staff, uh, outdoor staff, council person uh, in the village and they're asking us, can we at least look, can we share with another village or whatever because they've no one at all at all. Like we went out, as I said, for a walkabout and there was weeds and stuff growing up through blocked drains you know, and that's work that, that can't be done by Tidy Towns Committees and like, as as, as you're saying there, look, the Tidy uh, the, the public toilets were closed. They have been knocked and they're due to be uh, rebuilt again. But part of the impediment of replacing the public toilets there is the whole argument of having someone to maintain them. And we had the same situation in Baltimore back in April. Again, it was well flagged that the local guy that was uh, opening and closing the state-of-the-art facilities in Baltimore there that not only serve you know the town itself and all of the islands, and you know it's, it's quite busy in the summertime, um but again that, that that person retired and it was well known that he was kind of retiring but for weeks afterwards the, the facilities remained closed. Like so it's really is hugely frustrating. And like if you look at the likes of Balanin and, and Eskeen, like there's there's large rate paying businesses in mm. that area, you know, as as well as obviously look the citizens paying their own taxes and the property taxes which were essentially kind of sold to the public on the premise that, you know, local services would improve. And you know, it's, it's it's the opposite has been the case. Like so, that's why I said at the, at the council meeting recently that um, these people deserve better. And like I, I feel as as public representatives that we're letting them down. And look, their voice and their concerns to us, we're going up the line, and we're not having any satisfaction whatsoever. Um, you know, we're, we're on on some occasions the, the council officials are saying to us, you know, staffing is an executive uh, decision essentially nothing to do with you guys there sitting down in the council chamber um, and then other times they'll say oh look bring it up at the at, at the budget meeting um, in county hall you know come october november when we're discussing that but again it will be we're, we're just kind of fobbed off as i said like that um we've been asking over recent and, and fairness councillor hurley there has been asking i'd say for the last two years for the figures just to prove you know how many outdoor staff are reduced um, across the, the region. We, we kind of know it anecdotally, but we would like the facts and figures. And do you consistent. have them? We don't. We, no, they've always been declined. Um, I, I think. I, I think we were told previously across the county in, since something like maybe 2008, we're, we're 400 outdoor staff uh, down on what we had previously. But we are looking for a breakdown across West Cork. But we know it ourselves. We just want suppose, the officials to, to kind of put it there in black and white so that we can all see it and at least we can use that as an, an argument at budget time to say, look, you know, we're here in West Cork with a massive expanse of an area. Uh, we're trying to promote tourism, all of that kind of stuff. And again, I'm, I'm not being you know, overly critical of the council. As I said at the council meeting, the council is involved in so much good, um, you know, from festivals, all of that kind of stuff, and economic development, but it really has to get the basics right. It has to get the outdoor staff in there to help with the community groups. You know, as the street cleaning, the emptying the bins, the grass cutting and cleaning or, you know, looking after our cemeteries and our public conveniences, all that kind of stuff. They're the basics. Get those right. And we can kind of build on, you know, economic developments and all the other aspects of things Then after that.
4: Well, so I'm, I- I'm constantly singing the praises of the volunteers with the Tidy Towns who who go out and do uh, um, tremendous work, and this is right across the city and county. I mean, one would worry, if the tidy towns groups decided to down tools, what state would our county be in without them?
8: Yeah, absolutely. And as I said, look, I mean, look, we will be probably signing off on some grant aid for local tidy towns groups again um, tomorrow morning and um, but again, like, you know, and, and in fairness, like the Tidy Towns and voluntary groups are very grateful for, for any financial support, you know, that they get through these various grant schemes. But, like, the council can't absolve themselves of their responsibilities as well by just, you know, essentially buying off, you know, our villages and saying, well, look, here's a grant and we'll, we'll we'll give, you know, the local Tidy Towns committee, uh, you know, a, a sizable grant there and that's that sorted. You know, that that's almost the attitude it's got to at this stage. And as I said, you know, tidy towns committees, and they're they're absolutely brilliant, and you know, I I, I take my hat off to them, the, the great work, and there's there's a great buzz around the place in towns and villages at the moment before the adjudications start. But again, there, as I said, many of those are are retired, and they wouldn't mind me saying it's like they're they're probably getting on in years. Many of them, um, and and again, they're they're saying, look, that they can't be taken on all of these quite physical uh, roles that need to be done uh, in towns and villages, and it has to come back to. Uh, increasing the amount of outdoor council staff Absolutely,
4: absolutely. And I'm assuming that while you're representing the West Cork uh, region this lack of outdoor staff is reflected right across all the county.
8: Oh very much so yeah again look like we we, we tend to bring it up quite often at our own municipal district level but it it comes up at uh, full council level as well so again my colleagues in you know North Cork and East Cork as well uh, are having the same issues and I said it's just I suppose look we're 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 banging the drum on behalf of West Cork being such a, a vast area. Um, but yeah certainly look it is an issue across the county and uh look I, I just think you know we, we keep need needing to highlight it and again thank thanks to you for giving us the opportunity again today. But I suppose it's just our way to say look that we are listening to the, the, the people and the volunteers and the tidy towns committees and the voluntary groups out there we are hearing what you're saying to us and we are trying to, yeah. to
4: work on it. All right, somebody's just pointed out that outdoor staff in Dunmanway area alone has reduced from 30 to 13 and that's over about the last 10 to 15 years, so less than half than what was there, say, 10, 15 uh, years ago. And of course, Paul, there's a real danger that unkept areas will, particularly for West Cork, will affect the tourism product, that the wonderful tourism product that you have in West Cork.
8: It is. It is indeed. Look, as I said, there's an awful lot of effort goes in, um, you know, in the voluntary sector, and as I said, even with, with with council support to to put events on. But, you know, if if places are overgrown or unkempt, and like again another bugbear of ours are, are just the, the the road signage. Like I spend a lot of my time driving around, the, you know, the, the the roads and stuff, but work working council activities, and you know, like there's there's branches growing over signs. A lot of times they're dirty and you can't read them, or turned the wrong way, or whatever. You know, so even little things like that that should be, you know, incorporated in the in the council's work, uh, things like that just aren't being done. And as I say, yeah, it it just all adds up. Like, and it it kind of just undermines all the great work that's being done out there. And look, we've had two years of a pandemic. We're trying to get people back. You know, and they have been coming back into the area, and they have kind of you know been supporting local businesses and local areas, but the whole lot of will be undermined if the place isn't presentable. And as you say, like, as we mentioned earlier on, you know, the, the things like public conveniences, people need things like that open. And when they go to, you know, the, the likes of Baltimore or Ballinine or wherever and, and they find that these facilities and the one in, in, in Baltimore in particular is, is a cracking facility, has showers and the whole lot in there for the local uh, people using the, the boats and sailing and all that. When those facilities are, are, are locked with a padlock on the door...
4: Oh, that's such that's, a bad that's image. That's just, Dreadful, dreadful. Okay, and then a couple of people are critical of some of the contractors that the council bring in and the way they cut the grass, grass, they do a botched uh, job. I'm sure they're well paid to do the job, says Sheila. Uh, Somebody else says back in the day when the council used to cut our grassy areas, they were cut much better. And somebody else wants to know what review and oversight is there for contractors who do council work?
8: Yeah, again, yeah, I'm certainly aware of a number of issues, especially in graveyards, that were uh, given out to contractors. And, as I say, like, yeah, the, the work done was, was was less than desired, absolutely. Um, I suppose, look, it, it goes out to tender every year, um, and I suppose that, you know, if we highlight to council officials, as we have done, that we were unhappy with...
4: They the won't get the, the contract done. next they year.
8: They won't get the contract the next time around when it's put out to, to tender. But, as I said... You know, I would agree with your listeners there. Like I, I suppose my, my dad was one of the, the council workers and he was, uh, you know, maintaining graveyards in Clannacilty and Kilgar, So I, I spent many a summer up there kind of raking grass and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it, it kind of just goes back to my argument. Like, I think it is best to do it in-house and, and to pay the council workers and, and to have, a, a, you know, the, the, the right yeah. amount of outdoor staff to do these People jobs. People have pride
4: in their work as well and that Absolutely. sounds that sounds like what your dad had eh? yeah mm-hmm. yeah okay and listen were you just on a different topic were you in um were you at the Michael Collins reenactment last night
8: i i missed it unfortunately it i was fab. To go, but yeah it looked fantastic yeah. uh, no i was i was uh, i was out, my, my 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 young lad was playing uh, an under 14 hurling final the um in Skibreen last night so I had to kind of uh, divert off okay. and uh, attend that and, and, and cheer on the lads with being um, and did they win? they, they, they did they? They, they, won, <laughs> they won the football final last week and they won the hurling last night well they won the double so as someone mentioned last night it was the first double since 1990
4: so we were there. Well done. A well and done that. Okay and come back to us if you do manage to get a breakdown or if Councillor Declan Hurley does manage to get a breakdown on the actual number of outdoor staff because a lot of people say they'd, say they'd be interested to see what the actual breakdown is across the entire county. Listen Paul we leave it there. Thank you for that.
8: Thanks, Patricia. And nice uh, to meet you again last, uh, last And Friday lovely, lovely well. to
4: meet you as well and the rest of the gang. It was, it was great. It was great to have a night out like that where everyone was nice and relaxed. It was lovely. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks for that, Paul. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, independent councillor for West Cork, uh, Paul Hayes, 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862
3: 103
5: 103. Cork today on C103 with John Cusack Insurance's consent. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group They don't just talk the talk They walk the walk CMIG.ie. I'm
4: going to Fomoy Garda station for this week's Garda Fire where I'm joined by Sergeant John Kelly Good morning to you John Good morning Patricia And you're very Thanks. welcome And you Thank want you. you want to start with This is an unusual one This is GPS receivers stolen from tractors
6: uh, Yes Patricia We've had a number of them Now they've been happening up the country as well Just to explain it The GPS receiver is not a piece of kit that's actually fitted into the tractor itself. What is it? Um, it stands alone, right? It stands alone, and it's it's fitted and connected to the to the to, to the tractor. Now, each individual unit, right? They're quite dear. Each individual unit probably costs in the region three thousand. So, in some cases, we've had in one particular case, we had two taken from. From a farm, it's agricultural contractors that tend to be um, targeted because they would have a number of them at the same time fitted on uh, on a number of different tractors. Now they can be detached. Um, and we suspect that uh, a gang is coming in and they're basically uh, doing their research in advance where agricultural contractors are based and they're, they're targeting them there in the lockup or in the yard where the tractors are kept at night. So in one particular case, we had six of them taken from a place, we had two taken from a place, we had three taken from another place. Obviously, I'm not going to give the locations, just that they were all three were in the North Cork area. So, and I wouldn't be appealing to agricultural contractors... As some are beginning to do at the moment is to detach them at night and bring them to a secure location. Do not leave them on the tractor. Now, um they're something, as I say, they're, they're small, they're easily portable, uh, two or three of them fit in a backpack, no problem, you know? Um and it could be a case of that they, maybe somebody that's, that's able to, uh, electronically decode de- them so that it can be used again somewhere else.
4: OK, so just don't leave them in the uh, in the tractor overnight is the message.
6: Absolutely. You know, No, from time to time, uh, we find different types of crime, you know, kind of go up and go back. So the first of those we saw happening on the 20th of May, we had two on the uh, of May uh, we've had a number of them happening up the country as well so you know it's a, it's a problem that is around at the moment and for people to be particularly careful don't, careful, don't leave them on, on the tractor you know Okay. Now, okay. now we,
4: spoke, we spoke a number of weeks ago about drive-offs at petrol stations and you were nervous that this was going to be the start of something because of the rising cost of petrol and diesel and I believe we're seeing more of it now
6: seeing more of it, more of it now, just uh, two instances there where on the eleventh of June, we saw it there in mill Road and Middleton again, uh, roughly speaking and, and, and like anyone anyone feeling a tank now you know a small car you you're hitting a hundred euros, no problem you know with with the cost of of petrol and diesel um this problem is likely to continue. It could escalate over to summer, we just don't know. Um but any place where you have uh maybe large amounts of people coming to over the summer. So if you're an isolated filling station in a tourist area, you're the type of place that could be done during the summer, you're going to have increased levels of traffic. So I'd appeal to people you, you, you know, to be on the, to watch out for it. Uh, we saw one in Charlotte as well, the same day, unrelated to the first one that occurred. But uh, again uh, there was over well over a hundred quid in this particular case. Uh, taken. What do you believe petrol stations can do to counteract it? Petrol stations can counteract this. Um, now we're seeing with the growth of those self-service petrol stations, as a uh, a couple of them beginning to appear. And as you can see there, you have to put in your card first, uh, you, you know, and the card has to be the amount has to be debited off 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 the card before you can fill anything, you know. So um, petrol stations, any individual petrol station can introduce prepay. Now, that means that uh, you either pay with your card um, once you lift the pump, you know, some of those automatic ones, uh, which are at men petrol stations also, or else you can opt to go into the shop and pay beforehand. Um, But they can introduce this uh, prepay, and definitely this is one way and you'll cut it out completely. Um, Now, you're not going to lose the sale. Look, if if the person wants the... Once they roll or once they coffee or whatever, I'm quite sure they're still going to go in after paying for the fuel to, you know, to get that. But prepay is definitely one way that this can be counteracted quite easily, you know.
4: And are you uh, fearful that we will see more of it?
6: Quite likely, quite likely. Yeah. I mean, fuel prices are uh, showing no sign of coming back. And anytime time the fuel prices go to this uh, level, you see it. Um, again, what we're also seeing at the moment is uh, a number of instances of agri-diesel uh, being stolen. Now, in one case, we had about €800 Euros worth stolen from a farm up in Mallow. another place, we had about, uh, about 700 litres um, was taken of agri-diesel. That was taken from the uh, Kildyning area. There's quite sure there's other tests that have been taken that aren't even possibly been reported, you know. Yeah. So I would say to anybody, look, tanks like that, isolated areas, you you know, get them into a, a secure location. Maybe leave the existing tank there, but put a new tank into a shed that can be blocked up and secured with a proper security door, with you you know, with a a, a, a closed shackle lock on it as well, you know. Okay. Um, but that's way one way of contracting it. Make but it again,
4: make it as difficult as possible.
6: Yeah, and I suppose in one related thing I saw recently where there was a theft of those uh, 25-litre drums. Now, I I know what was in them wasn't worth taking, so I possibly suspect that they were taken intention of draining the contents and using them probably for taking agri diesel or something like
4: that. So it was the drums they were looking for rather than what I was would inside. Think so. yeah. I would
6: think it was the drums they were looking for and uh, like it, it makes it then a saleable product afterwards you know once it has been stolen you know. Okay all uh, right
4: and uh, so the, and finally uh, and we never have a guard the file lately where there isn't some kind of fraud being highlighted this time you want to talk to us about in, uh, an invoice fraud.
6: Yeah and I'll be talking here to any accountants or, or any uh, people in offices dealing with invoices, just to keep your, uh, attention on any invoices that come in. In one case now here, uh, this only happened two days ago, 14th, uh, down in the Middleton area, and uh, an organization had a very, very lucky escape, um, where they were processing a p- uh, payment and they realized the bank details had been changed, contacted, and sure enough, um, they very, they came very close to, uh, putting through a six figure sum. So uh, you know, uh, invoices can be for with companies that can be for very large amounts of money. So I'd appeal to them to keep uh, uh, an eye on invoices coming in. The bank details have been changed. Uh, make sure that you do person-to-person contact with the company in question, and that you have a person-to-person relationship with their sales officer, or whoever is doing the invoices on the other side. To make sure that the bank account details have been changed. Make sure that you're verified. Just don't take it. Uh, electronically just in case you've been hacked or
4: something. Yeah, so that's the real alarm bell. If a bank account that you normally pay into when you're paying for an invoice, if that has changed, now companies do change banks uh, and bank accounts, but just make sure that you physically speak to somebody that you know from that company that they have actually changed their bank details.
6: Absolutely, 100%. You know, trust but check. OK.
4: All right. Uh, thank you for that, uh, John. It's always a pleasure. Thank you Thanks, very Thanks uh, for joining for sure. thank us. Uh, good morning to you. That is Sergeant John Kelly who uh, joins us from Formoy the station.
5: You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
4: The Cork Summer Show is back this Saturday and Sunday. This family festival has an extensive range of activities ranging from show jumping to pig racing, cookery and craft demonstrations, trade stands offering health, wellness, wellness, lifestyle and fashion products, music live every day and a kids zone which also includes a fun fair. You can check it all out on corksummershow.com. How would you like to win a family pass which will admit two adults and four children to the summer show either on Saturday and Sunday? That's what you've a chance to win today as we've been doing all this week. A summer based question. What is the longest day of the year commonly known as What is the longest day of the year commonly known as your answers please along with your name and address by text and whatsapp only to 0862 103, 103. get texting and whatsapping on that what is the longest day of the year commonly known as for your chance to win a family pass to the Cork Summer Show on this weekend corksummershow.com if you want to check out more about it some of your thoughts uh, coming into us. Firstly John was on from Blackpool to say Patricia I need some advice. I was in contact with a person on Monday and on Tuesday they tested positive for COVID-19. Now I don't have any symptoms. I want to know what is the procedure now uh, from the HSC and what do I need to do. Well you need to do nothing at all John except be mindful of the fact that you've been in contact with somebody who had COVID-19. So just keep a lookout for symptoms and obviously if you come down with any symptoms then you're going to need to do some antigen tests. You could do an antigen test at any stage if you just want to give yourself a uh, peace of mind, but that 's the procedure at the moment, and in order to book a test there's quite a, i don 't know what the criteria is who 's entitled to get a test. There are still tests been operated PCR tests by the HSC, but you 've got to do that online, but at the moment, nothing really you don 't have to isolate back in the early days, you would have been self isolating but that 's all gone uh, now, and hopefully with your vaccinations etc. You'll be fine, and that you, you won't contract it. Hopefully, at all. But keep a lookout, and if you get any kind of symptoms, just be mindful of the fact that you have been in contact with somebody who had uh, COVID nineteen, and you will then need to get um, to do an antigen test. But as I say, if you want to do an antigen test in the meantime, you can. We were talking about the council and the lack of the outdoor workers in the effect that's having on green areas and the cutting of grass in cemeteries. Huge issue for so many people. Some listener said, some graveyards are a disgrace when strimmers are used, particularly in Mill Street. They destroy the well-kept Graves, when they throw the grass or the grass that's sprayed up from the strimmers ends up on the nice chippings that people have put down on their graves. And some of that chipping can be very expensive. It can uh, indeed. And then for our listener who had the problem with the starlings going in under the tiles, somebody says, tell that listener to get the roof checked. They shouldn't be able to go in under the tiles. And then there was a number of people who had advice on the starlings. This was what was the initial comment. Let me find it. Oh, it was David and Dunamore? Uh, any ideas how to prevent the starlings from flying under the tiles of the roof? Okay, couple of suggestions in for David and Dunamore. John in Donawell says, "Go into any hardware shop, and you can get what's called expanding foam. Don't put too much in though." Says our John and Donred, because it expands as it goes in. Do it from the edge, and then nothing can get into the roof and under the tiles. Kate says they just pick around at the fascia. They don't actually go into the roof. They have a nest at the edge under the tiles. Kate said she's said Starlings nesting in the in the eve of her house. She said they're gone now. And so she said, Tell David if he has them this year, they should be leaving soon. And Frank in Drumahan says, I had to put chicken wire in between the tiles, but make sure that the chicken wire is small and it certainly worked for me. Okay, so there's a number of suggestions. Thank you uh, to the people there with a the number of suggestions for David in Dunamore. On tourists and toilets, Neil in or Nile in Kinsale, men's toilets next to the tourist office uh, are a disgrace, says uh Nile. The hand dryer has not worked for the last two months and one toilet is overflowing and flooding the other toilets. Americans were visiting recently. They walked in and they were shocked and walked back out again. At the end of the day, Kinsale is the gourmet capital. Did you report it to anybody, uh, Nile Again, that I'm assuming is down to the lack of outdoor staff and not enough outdoor staff to be checking up on uh, the toilets. I mean, listening to Paul Hayes talk about it, There are areas where they haven't even been able to open the toilets because there's nobody available, no outdoor staff to open the toilets and then to lock them up afterwards. So yeah, that's going to be an ongoing issue. And I think, you know, all of the councillors are right. We need more outdoor staff. That is the simple answer uh, to it. And then we've been discussing the high cost of rising costs of everything. And we know if you go out anywhere, if you're socialising or whatever you're doing, prices have gone up and this has got to do with the Cost of business for people in business, they're finding everything is going up from their electricity to their insurance to, if it's a restaurant, to the items that they're buying to put on your plate. Well, Helena was on to say that she went out for dinner last Sunday and she got a main course. It was roast lamb. She said there was no extras. It was just literally a roast lamb dinner. She ended up getting charged twenty one fifty. I was gobsmacked at the price. And when I questioned it, I was told, do you realise the price of lamb at the moment? Now she said, OK, if it was beef dinner, she said she would have expected to pay pay." and actually said the beef dinner, if she'd opted for beef... Would have been 18 euro. So the lamb dinner was more expensive than the beef. In future, Cicelina, I'm going to be checking the price list. So she wasn't aware before she sat down to her Sunday roast lamb how expensive it was gone. Have others noticed that? Again, the business, if we were to contact the business, they would say everything that went into the making of that roast lamb dinner has gone up in price. But 21.50 is that standard for a roast lamb dinner? We might end up doing a a thing where we'll find out where's the cheapest and where's the cheapest dinners and where's the most expensive dinners on sale at, at the moment. And yesterday we were discussing housing and the whole issue around housing and then vacant houses came up and we had some listeners on talking about vacant houses in their area. Can't understand why the council, both city and county council. People were saying they know of vacant houses. Why are they not being let out to people when we have such a housing crisis at the moment? Joan Joan Infamoy was on to say Pike Road Infamoy. There is a housing estate there. This is one of the unfinished housing uh, estates. She reckons if that housing estate was finished off, it would solve a lot of problems with housing for the formoy uh, area. And she said if you look at it, you can see the weather now is coming through the windows. Such a pity! One of these ghost housing estates. Uh, why can that not? Why can we not finish off those ghost housing estates? And Joan wants to raise the issue of young professionals who are now working full time but fall between the cracks they can't meet affordable housing or social housing qualifications because they're earning just too much but yet they're not earning enough to get a uh, mortgage and yet then they are saddled with high cost of uh, rents it is very very unfair there's a group I mean I know we're always talking about the squeezed middle There's there's an exact example of the squeezed middle earning too much to qualify for affordable houses but not earning enough to qualify for a mortgage and Tommy from Bangor in County Offaly was listening to us yesterday and he's a sales rep He drives mainly around the Midlands and all around the Munster area. He says he's counted five housing estates in the Midlands that are idle, more or less ghost estates. He says there's between 20 and 40 houses in each of these housing estates. Surely they would help out so many families. Why are housing estates left like that? They're left in atrocious conditions. And as Joan says, the longer they're left, then the weather takes over and then it's going to make it even more expensive to finish off those houses and get them some way up to scratch so that people can move in to them. The papers are again, thank you for that, the papers are again uh, picking up on the political um, criticism of Michael D. Higgins. We spoke about it yesterday on the programme. Now the Opposition parties, the people like Sinn Féin, Labour, People Before Profit, they obviously have all come out and endorsed President Michael D. Higgins' claims that the current housing crisis is a disaster. President Higgins' remarks provoked an angry response from government ministers who say they found his comments unhelpful and more focused on Michael D. Higgins' own public image. There was angry doll exchange yesterday. Now, I did notice that the Corla, Sean O'Farrell, stood up and warned TDs uh, under the separation of powers that references to the office of the president had to be guarded references. He said it was wrong to interpret or enhance any comments made by the president. But responding on behalf of the government was the finance minister, Pascal O'Donoghue. Or Pascal who I've just put an O in his name. He said everyone was aware of the ongoing housing problem. He uh, argued that progress was and had been made and that, that some 30,000 new houses per year are soon to be built. People want those houses built and built now, though. But then on the other side, exchanges coming from the opposition, Sinn Féin's Piers Doherty. Now, he avoided technical difficulty under the Dahl ru- rules by again stating the huge problems surrounding the housing sector. He said, does the government now accept that the housing crisis is a disaster? Sinn Féin finance spokesperson also accused Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael of being best boys in the class in facilitating institutional investors in housing who drove up prices and did not pay taxes. And that's kind of similar to what Michael de Higgins was saying. Labour's Ivana Backchip got in on it. She said TDs kept meeting people stricken. By the housing crisis, unable to buy and increasingly unable to pay spiralling rents, she said it was no wonder that President Higgins referred to a housing disaster. And speaking for the government, Pascal who said, yes, all of us accept the need to make more progress. He says progress was being made on increasing the number of new houses been built. And then he broke it down into numbers. He said 22,000 new homes have been built in the past 12 months. The construction of 35,000 new houses began last year and 43,000 planning permissions were granted in 2021. But Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou MacDonald, she said the president is the first citizen. And she said, I think the president speaking on behalf of people who are now really suffering and really struggling is a very honourable. And she said, I felt it's a very noble thing to do. And I also saw Father Peter McVary. He was speaking. He was actually outside when all that discussion was going on. He was outside. There was a cost of living protest, similar to the one that we spoke about that's happening in Cork on Saturday. There was one of those held outside Leinster House yesterday. And Father Peter McVary who is probably one of this country's leading campaigners for the homeless. He said it was interesting that the president had been attacked by political parties who implemented the housing policies that had led to the housing crisis. He said instead of listening to what they can do, they decided to attack him himself. And he went on to say that he, he likes much of what is in the housing for all. That's the government's plan. But he says, I do think it's aspirational. He said, I'm afraid it's not actually going to become a reality. And what distresses Father Peter McVery most of all is the lack of urgency to address the problem. And I think that's really what what President Michael D. Higgins was trying to get across as well. There just doesn't seem to be this urgency to try to sort the problem. And yesterday we had a discussion about what can and can't President Michael D. Higgins uh, say. He actually only has two specific powers that he can exercise without any required government clearance the first is he after consulting with his advisory council of state he can then refer a draft law to the Supreme Court but he can only do it to test the constitutionality if he doesn't like a law he can't just not refer it it's got to be a breach of the constitution and then the second power which of course has never been tested in this country is the right to refuse to dissolve the doll in special circumstances and then for the rest our President acts. On the advice of the government, basically meaning our presidents are meant to uh, toe the line and listening to Michael D. He is here, he, uh, this week he decided not to do that for sure. Um, and then our, our own Michael says criticism of Michael D., the president of Ireland, for supposedly overstepping his role is wrong. He is the president of this country, where the life and hope of generations are torn apart by a housing disaster and children traumatised by homelessness. As one Fianna Fáil TD said on. The news on one yesterday President Higgins skirted close to the line and cut fast and loose with protocol. Unprecedented, but not but not unconstitutional. I cannot get my head around those that are furious over Michael D speaking out about housing but not about children growing up in hotel rooms, B&Bs and parents struggling to feed them well set. Sir for Michael in uh, Castletown Bear. 0818 103 103 A reminder to you that you can get your uh, pet questions in but hold off until we have our winner for the Cork Summer Show. So if you have a pet question you can call John Paul at 0818 103
3: 103 The C- one hundred and three Cork Diary with
5: Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Novena
4: to the Sacred Heart will commence today and runs through until Friday, the twenty-fourth of June, ten a.m. to seven thirty p.m. daily at the Sacred Heart Church on the Western Road in Cork. It will be led by Father Paul Clayton Lee. A Mallow's Corpus Christi procession is back after a break due to COVID. It's happening tonight following Mass in St Mary's Church at half past seven. Everybody's is invited to take part, but especially First Holy Communion children and their families proceeds the, the procession then will end with benediction in the church of the resurrection. Householders and business owners along the route are please asked to decorate their premises. And a get together celebrating Bloomsday and Michael Collins's connection to Ulysses will be held at the Barris Folk Club in Clonakilty uh, commencing around now with a period costume procession from the post office to Debaris, where there will be light refreshments, readings and song. And Kildallery Bingo will be held in the newly renovated old store in the Creamer Yard tomorrow night. Doors open at 7. And eyes down at 8. Jackpot is €2,100. And there is always the option to play inside or outside in your
5: car.
3: Cork Today on C103.
5: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie.
3: This is the Cork Today replay on C103.
4: Tim in Leem Lara was on about speed is a big issue on the road, particularly from Watergrass Hill to Leem Lara. But Tim has noticed that there is an electronic speed sign, you know, the one that shows you the speed that you're actually doing. But he says that the solar panel disc over the sign has been turned the other way and therefore it's not detecting the speed that the motorists are doing. And now all you're seeing is a slow down sign. So it needs to be turned the correct way again. Is that council? Is that council work or not? I don't know. I mean, there seems to be a lot of these problems are coming to the surface because there's not enough, as we've been talking about this morning, there's not enough outdoor staff to do those kind of jobs and I don't know if that's the responsibility or the council are not and I don't even know on those signs who do you report them to because a lot of those, it is the council isn't it because a lot of those signs, those speed detection signs were put up by are put up by the council but in cooperation with the local people in the area many local groups have had to actually fundraise to get the money towards the cost of them so maybe get on to the council uh, maybe that's what you need to do uh, Tim and report it because maybe they're unaware that it's turned the wrong way and therefore it's not picking up the actual speed that people are uh, doing. And then when we were talking about the ghost housing estates and lots of people are pointing out various ghost housing estates and why could those houses not be d- done up and would that not so- solve solve all but will it not solve part of our housing uh, crisis. Bernie in Ballineen says all well and good saying that we need to get those ghost housing estates built and back up and ready to open up for people but what about the ordinary Joe Soap who cannot get a plumber or an electrician or indeed any other tradesman to do the small house jobs and get the small house jobs sorted and that's from Bernie in Ballinine now I'm trying to think I haven't had occasion touch wood and thankfully to have called in a tradesperson recently and we know that there's a shortage of all tradespeople right across the construction sector any of the big builders will tell you they're constantly trying to fill vacancies and there has been a bit of a push to try and get young people rather than focus everything on going on to third level education and going to colleges universities there has been a kind of a push to try to get young people to maybe take up apprenticeships but I don't know how big a problem that is are many people struggling to get a plumber or an electrician or any other a trade if something goes wrong in your house are other others struggling to get somebody to come in and do those, those smaller jobs. Let me know because I said I don't know how widespread that problem is but according to Bernie in Balladine it's nigh on impossible to get a tradesperson to come and do any kind of work. Thank you for your text Bernie to 0862 103, 103. Somebody says fair play to Michael D. Higgins a president for all the people not just for the well off people and why shouldn't he be a voice for the homeless? He's a disappointment only to those who want to do nothing and shove this problem under the carpet good on michael d They would have you say it is a crisis when it is a disaster, which is the word that Michael D. Higgins used yesterday. Somebody else saying well done to Michael D. speaking out. Somebody would want to speak uh, out at the uh, moment. There's too many refugees coming into this uh, country and we have a recession. Ireland is not a bottomless uh, pit. 0862103103. Okay, that's some of your texts coming in to the program. If you have a text for a guard for a pet question for Jane Pickett, you can get that into us as well, or you can call John Paul 0818103103. And when we were talking about the lack of outdoor staff, one of the points that Councillor Paul Hayes made was that a lot of tidy towns groups are picking up on work that traditionally would have been done by the council workers. And you know where would we be without our wonderful volunteers within the Tidy Towns? But there is a big push this summer for all of us when we're out and about to do our bit to try to keep our beautiful county as litter free as possible. And actually, Cork County Council have launched an, annu- an anti-litter campaign for the summer months And that's exactly what they're doing. They're encouraging all of us to dispose of our rubbish responsibly and try to help keep the county as clean as possible. This is the second year of the campaign and it'll see signs being erected at outdoor amenities. If you're going to the beach, you'll see it along the coast. Any of our parks and our playgrounds, any of the shared recreational areas, you'll see signs on behalf of Cork County Council asking you to bring your rubbish home. And the mayor... Of the County of Cork, uh, Fianna Fáil Councillor Gillian Coughlin launched it, launched it and appealed to people to be sound and leave no trace when you're enjoying the outdoors this summer. They want everyone to enjoy uh, Cork uh, County and all that it has to offer and she said it doesn't matter whether you're a local, a tourist, whether you're on a day trip or you're just visiting the beach with friends this place is for you is kind of the message they're putting forward and, you know and she makes the point you can still have fun but please act responsibly either use the bin if there's a bin available and if not just bring your rubbish home with you and leave no trace now uh, this I'm really I really welcome this and hope that this gets rolled out right across the county it's part of a pilot initiative four new smart bins have been installed and they've all been installed along Cove Promenade and they're supported by the twenty twenty two anti dumping initiative they're solar powered bins they can hold eight times more rubbish than a traditional street bin, and they're equipped with sensors which will let the council staff know when the bin is full and that means then somebody from the council, if they' have outdoor staff, can go along and empty the bin because how many times do we get photographs certainly into this program? during the summer months uh, when there are street bins available overflowing and people then have a tendency just to leave their litter beside the bin and you know we're always hearing the bins aren't getting emptied enough and in the council's defence how do they know when a bin is full well with these smart bins they'll know exactly when they're full and when they need to be um, uh, emptied now it is a pilot initiative I don't know what these bins cost and what the cost is to the council, but it would be fantastic if we could see more of those bins going forward. So if you're in Cove Promenade, keep a lookout for those solar-powered smart bins. We all have a role to play in trying to keep our beautiful county as clean as uh, possible o eight one eight one o three one o three our winner for the cork summer show for today summer solstice was the answer we were looking for. What is the longest day of the year? commonly known as and our winner today is Mary Murphy from Ladies Bridge. Congratulations to you Mary. You've won a family pass for two adults and up to four children to go along to the summer show which is happening this weekend Saturday, Sunday, June 18th and uh, 19th and of course this Sunday is Father's Day as well so so it might be a nice family day out and uh, a nice way to treat Dad Family Festival and there's something there from the smallies right up to Granny and you can check out every everything that's planned for this year's cork summer show back with us they were off for the last 2 years because of the pandemic check it all out on cork summer show Dot .com. Okay, looking for your pet questions now, please. And now you can officially text them in uh, to us cuz the text ca- text lines are now free. You can text our WhatsApp pet question to 0862103103 103, or you can call John Paul on 0818103103.
3: Court today on C103 with
5: John Cusack Insurances Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.
3: This is the Court Today replay on C103.
4: We're off to the Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Ministry Street Veterinary Group, where Jane Pickett joins me. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon. Julie has been on to say, very excited in their house they are taking. They're getting two little kittens this weekend for the first time ever. She's looking for advice on house training the kittens and should she have separate lip litter trays for each of them.
9: Okay, so it's a really, really exciting time introducing new, new four-legged members to the family. So congratulations on that. I think it's really good to think ahead at this stage um, about how the toilet training is going to go for these little kittens. I am pleased to say that generally kittens are pretty good at toilet training themselves if they're given the right environment. So I think you're definitely on the right track. Make sure that you have at least two litter trays if you have two kittens. Now, normally when you have kind of more mature to adult cats in the household, the rule of thumb is always have one more litter tray than the amount of cats you have. So let's say you have two cats, you have three litter trays. Now, I would say if these are small baby kittens, having three litter trays is probably not necessary until they're a little bit bigger and bolder. So maybe having two litter trays, not side by side, but maybe opposite ends of the room so that the smells are separated will be a really great start. Now, it may be that both of these kittens might be happy to do their business in one litter tray in which case leave the it. That, that's absolutely fine. It's just if there ever is a little kiss between the two kittens and they want to kind of separate out their smells a little bit, then they have the option and that keeps your toilet training on track. So I would say that you need to make sure that you pick a, a cat litter, so a litter substrate, so something to put in the litter tray that you're planning on long term. Um, there are many, many options available. I know that there's kind of recycled materials, recycled wood pellets, and um, there's also ones that are based on tofu, and they're kind of my preferred one for my own little cat at home, because the handy thing with those is that you can actually flush that down the loo and it's really safe. And um, so it really depends on what litter, tray, litter you're using as to how you dispose of it. So many of them will just need to be dumped in the bin, and obviously, that kind of is just normal waste. Um, But just have a little think ahead of how you're going to manage that as well and what would suit your situation best and to check how how to correctly dispose of it. And the other top tip I have is get yourself a litter tray liner. So you want to make your life easy long term for changing out your litter tray. So one really helpful thing you can do is you can get kind of uh, biodegradable, kind of almost they're like plastic bags, but they're not plastic. And they can line the litter tray and you put your your little substrate or your little cat litter or pellet on top of that. And it means that, let's say, you can clean your litter tray day to day with your, your little litter scoop. Keep things nice and clean because cats like to pee and poo in clean places. They don't like puddling around in their own mess. Um, but it means that when you have a really, really dirty litter tray and you need to clean it, it's super simple because all you do is kind of just close the little bag up, all your litter is contained inside and you can manage it that way. So that's another top tip. But I think best of luck. Usually kittens are pretty good at training themselves. If they are maybe not knowing how to get in and out of it, pop them into it a few times and they'll get the idea. And Normally
4: definitely much, e- and scratch. much easier yeah. than, than puppies. Exactly. Much, yeah, much easier. Much easier, easier. Job. Yeah. Don't be worried. So yeah, they'll train very, very quickly. Hi, uh, Patricia and Jane. My ten year old dog has been diagnosed with diabetes and he's now on insulin. What foods should I avoid giving him because of this diagnosis? I've also no- noticed his eyes getting glossy. Could he be going blind? Could be in the could he be in the early stages of blindness? I would hope to stabilize him so that things don't get worse. Any advice from Jane? Welcome to please.
9: Okay. So, um I know this is a really, really tough time for you. Getting a, a diagnosis of a, a serious disease in your pet is never easy. And I suppose the worry takes over. It's it's a really, really tough time. With Treatment with diabetes, insulin is, you know, a a really effective treatment for it. So we're replacing the body's stocks of insulin um, so that they can process the blood sugar properly. Um, And obviously, you'll have uh, kind of discussed that and then with your vet as to how to give that medication. Now, the important thing is you need to line up your medication with the food. So it is a little bit different in each situation. So I don't want to give kind of broad sweeping advice to you because it might not apply directly to your pet. With your pets, it really depends on, you know, how high their blood sugar is, how well they're stabilizing on their insulin, as to what food they can have. And a lot of times diabetic patients need to have really stable consistent diets from day to day and generally it will have to either be before or after insulin and your vet will be able to discuss that with you as to which is the best option for your pet. There are lots of let's say prescription diets available for let's say diabetic patients that optimize the way the blood sugar is processed by the body in tandem with the insulin treatment and that's suitable in some cases and others it's not necessary it really depends on your situation and your pet. I would suggest having a really in-depth conversation with your vet about what to feed your pet and when. Because if you go drastically changing the food, either making it lower sugar or higher sugar, both options can be dangerous for your pet because the insulin dose that he's on will be one that's suitable for him on the diet that he started on. So if you're going to go changing anything, please have a good chat to your vet first and foremost, because they'll be able to guide you. And if you do want to change the diet, they'll be able to help you how to do it really, really safely. So best of luck with that. It's a really, really tough thing to have a diagnosis um, of a serious disease in an older pet, but, you know, it's it, it's really great. And these pets can get have a really good quality of life. As regards kind of the glassy, glassiness on his eyes, sometimes one thing that's associated with diabetes in older pets is cataracts. So that's thickening and whitening of the lens within the eye. So if it is kind of a whitening of the lens that you've noticed, that's something that's worth flagging with your vet because that is something that can develop with diabetes. Now, the important thing to notice is that even in pets with perfect diabetic control, so their insulin is working really well, a lot of them will eventually have changes in their metabolism, which will cause them to get cataracts and will cause them to go blind. So that is something that can happen, regardless of if the management is perfect or if your pet is slightly less on the stable side with their insulin. So again, if you have concerns that you're noticing a glassiness to the eyes, that's something that needs to be checked by your vet. So I'd say attend for an appointment might be great, a great opportunity to check out the eyes at that stage and to have a really good in-depth discussion with your vet about his diet.
4: I ask if it if it is and uh, cataracts can you have a cataract operation like humans can
9: you can indeed so cataract um cataract dissolution is something that can be done it's generally only done by ophthalmologists so that they will be eye specialists and it's a really interesting operation where essentially the lens is removed um and it means that your your dog can Better certainly they can improve their quality of life. It's suitable in some situations, and certainly in diabetic patients. Generally, they would have to be quite stable on their medication before that's something yeah, that something will yeah. be considered. But living with um,
4: but but that any dog or I'm assuming cat diagnosed with diabetes, once the insulin is controlled, they lead relatively normal lives.
9: They do indeed. And they can go on to have a really great quality of life for quite a period of time. It Good. is a big undertaking, a big commitment on the part of kind of the pet parent and the pet family, because obviously they have to be around to give the insulin yeah, yeah. So fair play to anybody who takes it on, but you can give your pet a really great quality of life. Well so it's well, well worth doing.
4: OK, listener says my eight year old Shih Tzu has lost the hair on his sides and just hasn't grown back. Well, otherwise, what do you think may have
9: caused it? Okay, so if he's not itched or scratching at himself and he doesn't have other skin issues longer term, I will be a little bit suspicious of a hormonal disease. So there's a number of things that can cause hair loss, particularly on kind of the flanks or along the sides, which is called kind of pattern alopecia within a specific spot. And sometimes that can be an underactive thyroid or changes with the stress hormone in the body. And now that doesn't mean that the dog is stressed out. It just means that it's a change in the way the hormone processing in the body happens. Now, these are two diseases that can cause hair changes and hair loss. And sometimes other knock on changes like pigmentation or darkening of the skin or skin thickening or thinning, depending on what's happening. So I would say that this definitely warrants a chip to your vet. They will want to make sure that it's not skin disease first that's causing the hair loss, but it may be the if they do think it fits with a hormonal disease, we might need to do some blood tests initially to see if that is the case. And the good thing is that with many of these hormonal diseases, they are treatable, they are medicatable and you can give your pet a really good quality of life and kind of optimise how their body is functioning with their hormones. So it's definitely best to investigate that one and well done for noticing.
4: OK, Mary wants to know what is the best food to give to adult cats? Is it dried food? Is it wet food? Or would you suggest a mixture of both, which is what she's running with at the moment?
9: Okay, Uh, I I I would agree with herself. I am kind of an advocate of a mix. Um, Once upon a time for cats, we used to kind of suggest a, a fully kibble hard diet because it was better for their teeth. But We know now that sometimes their kidney function can be a little bit better longer term if they do have a wet aspect to their diet. So it depends on who you speak to, but I'm definitely kind of an advocate for cats of a mixed diet. And I suppose a little bit different for dogs. Their kidneys are generally less of an issue as they age. But generally with dogs you get most benefit a uh, dry kibble diet and a dry diet with it a little bit different between the species
4: Okay, we're just starting to break up so we'll leave it there listen thank you for that have a great week and we'll chat to you next week thanks for that Uh, bye bye that is uh, Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket that's part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group when I mentioned somebody having difficulty a plumber or an electrician or any kind of a trade to do small jobs around the house Mary is a big enough job Should I've been approved for a grant for heating for my house and I simply can't get a contractor so that does seem to be an ongoing uh, issue Okay, that's where I leave it for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon, and we are back with you for
5: the
3: final one of the week. Tomorrow at ten
4: o'clock onto the Night Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon.
3: Court today on C103.
5: With Sean Cusack. Insurances can sale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. See MIG.ie.
0: Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win.